1: This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park.
2: Hello everybody and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast after what was a decent enough weekend for Everton after a, a controversial 0-0 draw at home to Tottenham Hotspur on the weekend. I'm your host today, Sam Cattle, joined by Chris Beasley, beside me. and from home, Adam Jones and Dave Prentice. How are we all, lads? We're all right, aren't we? We're in the boot fair together. Good, good yeah, I'm liking this all. You, you two look
3: really cosy together. We're we, not social yeah. distancing, are we?
2: No, no, not at all. <laughs> we look like we've came for a meal together at Frankie and Benny's. <laughs> <laughs> little, uh, Frankie and Benny's food. <laughs> Adam, you were, uh, you were at Goodison Park yesterday to see the, the 0-0 draw. What are your initial thoughts? <sighs>
3: Well, it was loads better, wasn't it? At the end of the day, I mean, I don't think it could have got much worse than the end of that Watford game and the and the start of that Wolves game. To be fair, but it was it was just loads better from Everton. At the end of the day, I mean, it, all the all that the fans wanted to see was you know a bit of commitment, bit of bit of heart, bit of passion from the players. You know, it, the, the, these are all you know buzzwords, I suppose, but you know sometimes they are they are just effective and they are the uh, they are exactly the requirements that these players also need, and the kinds of things that you shouldn't really have to ask for. But you so often do have to ask for with this group of players, which is really strange. But yeah, they they showed showed all that from the start. I think you know the the, the whole side looked loads more organised as well, which I think has probably flown under the radar. Lots more defensively solid, they really putting effort in all over the pitch. Uh, lacking a bit of creativity you have to admit but you know we're still we're still missing key players up at the top end of the pitch aren't we in the likes of Decoré and Calvert-Lewin so you can kind of understand why there was maybe a little bit of a lack of creativity and to be honest these players are learning a new system as well so uh it's a bit it's a bit of a tough one to to properly to properly go into I suppose but uh yeah, like I think, all in all, it was it, it was much better in general because I think essentially it couldn't really it couldn't really have got much worse.
2: Was that a proper Goodison atmosphere for you, yesterday, Dave?
0: Yeah, it's the first decent Goodison atmosphere we've had for quite some time, to be honest, and uh, it just shows you how the uh, the supporters will react to being given what should basically be. Uh, the very least you should expect from your footballers every week, which is attitude and commitment. Uh, but we don't appear to have seen that on a, a couple of occasions recently. So it was good to see that restored. Obviously, it helps when you've got a referee whose interpretation of the uh, the laws of the game is at odds with uh, the people who are watching it. And uh, that always adds an extra bit of spite to it as well. Uh, so I, I quite enjoyed it. I mean, it was um, it was a much, much better performance, as Adam says. Uh, a couple of you know so sort of decent high spots don't think Jordan picked for that a single save to make. I think he just took one, you know, sort of cross, and that was about it. And after the, the fairly appalling defending we've seen over the last couple of games, that was a massive, you know, sort of tick in the, uh, in the right box. And Fabian Delph. You know, so, you know, the, the new number eight. Um, I mean, we've always known, you know, what a good player he can be. We just haven't seen it often enough because his body's let him down. So it was quite heartening, you know, sort to of see him actually producing a really decent performance. So, yeah, there were a lot more positives uh, you could take from it, from negatives than in, re- in recent weeks. So, yeah, all in all, you know, I enjoyed it. It was a decent afternoon.
2: Let's get on and, and talk a little bit more about Fabian Delphi. We, we were kind of talking about them earlier this morning together mm-hmm. phil Bride wrote in his royal blue column on saturday morning that you know even if he was kind of outstanding until the end of the season it's still more than likely that fabian delf would move on uh, as a free agent but he's got a real chance now to to rewrite his his own legacy in these last few months and he's kind of got off to the perfect start with his last two appearances
1: yeah, I said, you know, it's a one and a bit perform, one and a bit matches, and, you know, Everton taking just the one point for them. So let's not go overboard, but very encouraging considering, you know, he came in from the cold and, you know, he's been straight back at it. And it just shows you how part of have fallen recent weeks. That um, Something like that, just that basic desire and a bit of um, organisation goes goes a long way. But i said, even if Fabian Dell hadn't had this last year or so with the injuries and the way things have, have gone and um, he'd probably be in a similar situation a player of his age anyway when he, you know comes yeah. to the last year of his contract probably be looking to play as many games as possible and make a, as big an impact as possible to get another one year deal and then that's the sort of the way it goes my a like you know, a veteran player like he is he yeah, there's still a there's still a chance for him to earn a one year deal if he does well between now and the, the end of the season you know Rafa could change his mind he's already changed his mind on you know he, he was willing to let him go out the door at the start of the season and now he, he's kept him on for this year, so you know, it, like I said, it's it's up to him. First and foremost, staying fit because that's been the big thing. Is not it? I don't think there's any real question marks over his pedigree. You know, he's he's an international player who's come from Manchester City, so that's not an issue. But it's just get get staying on, getting onto the pitch and staying onto the pitch and doing that over a prolonged period. That'll be probably be, if he has any chance, and there will be a chance if he does well, that he could earn a, a, another year. Then, but yeah, that, that that that's a big ask given what's what's happened already, but. Hopefully you you bring that maybe the the injuries can be behind him, you know, that there's obviously a quality player in there. It all felt very surreal
2: yesterday, Adam, didn't it? Seeing Everton tweeting out that Fabian Delph was man of the match for Everton against Spurs. It almost felt like we'd entered some kind of alternate universe. What 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 was it about his performance that you think he he did well? What what was it he brought to the team yesterday that maybe we've been lacking?
3: He was such a calm and influence. I think it, you know there, there were moments in the second half, especially where you know it looked as if you know it was going to turn into some sort of a hectic performance. But Delph was kind of just like motioning to the rest of his teammates, you know, calm down, calm down, let's play, let's play our football the way we that we know that we can play. And it kind of got Everton back onto the air, back onto the offensive in the in in the second half. And I think you know, Rafa Benitez spoke about it in his pre-match press conference, you know, the the kind of experience that Fabian Delft brings to that role and I think he, he used that experience throughout uh, well, especially the first half, you know, you, you saw moments where, you know, Ben Godfrey and Michael Keane were picking up possession, Fabian Delft was always just showing for the ball, you know, simple things like that sometimes you know, just showing, showing for the ball, getting a pass off those, off those two centre-backs and pushing Everton forwards making a, you know, five or ten yard pass to, you know, an Allen or Andros Townsend in front of him. You know, nothing nothing really, you know, mind-blowing or spectacular or anything like that. It was it was very much just doing the basics, but doing the basics really, really well. And then defensively, he was using his experience really well to get in the right sort of defensive areas. Like, obviously, we had the moments in the second half where Luca Deans bombs forward and suddenly Spurs trying to hit us on the counter-attack. Delph covers back at left-back and he makes two fantastic interceptions in the space of about 10 seconds. Uh, which stopped Spurs potentially uh, hitting us on the break. And, you know, fans will really, really appreciate that. He only got an hour of football, but with the injury issues that he's had over the last, well, over the last probably well over a year, uh, it was, you know, quite understandable that he wasn't going to get 90 minutes on this this occasion. But, you know, it it was very just, you know, it was just very simple, experienced stuff. And these are the kinds of things that we thought that Fabian Delph was going to, able to provide on a on a consistent basis when joining the club. You know, these are the kind of performances that we all thought we're gonna we're gonna flip, but uh, unfortunately injuries have kind of stood in the way of that. Uh but yeah i I don't think it was necessarily mind blowing or anything like that from Fabian Delph. It was just doing doing the basics absolutely right and you know sometimes that's just what you need isn't
2: it? Come of the hour come off The man For for so long of Fabian Delft's Everton career, it's kind of felt like wrong place, wrong time. But with the current kind of injury crisis that has afflicted the midfield, this is probably his best opportunity now to to fully show what he can do in Royal Blue, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's a massive opportunity for him. I mean, I would describe his performance as Gareth Barry-esque. And uh, that's a compliment, you know, because he was... In the right place at the right time, so many times, and that comes with you know football brain. Um, How many times did he intercept, uh, you know, so dangerous Tottenham passes in the first half? I, I count at least three or four, just by being in the right place. Um, the yellow card that he always takes was a decent one to take, to be honest, because it was a, it was a dangerous break by Tottenham, and it was a you know a, a typical tactical foul, if you like. Um, But yeah, you just, you worry about his uh, his fitness. I mean, he went down quite gingerly after taking a heavy challenge at one stage and you think, oh dear, you know, so he's the kind of player that always seems to pick up injuries. But given like the state of the squad at the moment and given the manager's reluctance to trust Jean-Philippe Gabamin, um, he is going to be very, very important over the next few weeks. Uh, I mean, let's face it, he actually decided he wants to play a centre half in midfield for the last 10 minutes rather than Gabamin, which indicates that you know what he's seeing on the training pitch and what we saw in that first half at Wolves just isn't good enough from him. Um, so you know it's there. You know, so it's up for Fabian to Fabian to try and prove that you know he can get a run of form and fitness. As Chris said earlier, you know there's no questions about his pedigree. You know because he is a very very good footballer. Just his body keeps letting him down, and uh, he wants an extra year. And I can understand why the club are a little bit reluctant uh, to commit to that just yet, because they want to see if he can get a bit of a run of games under his belt and try and you know avoid these constant injuries he picks up. And it's not just one injury. It's like just an array of like odd injuries when it was his shoulder last time. Um, So fingers crossed, you know, so things will be, you know, will go for him now. I mean, the manager did his bit. He played him for an hour you would have been tempted to leave him on a bit longer, such was his influence on the game, but he didn't. He gave him you know, a rest for the last half an hour, which was sensible, prudent management. So they've given him every opportunity to try and prove that he can be the player that we thought he could be. And how many times on this pod have we said, we lack leadership, we lack a leader in the squad. And he is you know, one of those players that can be a leader. So you throw him into the mix, Seamus Coleman into the mix, and suddenly you've got like a little bit more leadership in the squad, which is important. So yeah, fingers crossed. You know this can be, you know, a belated, you know, sort of kickstart to Fabian Delph's career.
1: The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
2: Well, from the good to the to the bad and the ugly, perhaps. Bees, looking back at the the big talking point, the yeah. the Richarlison penalty decision. Yeah. You know, we've seen it. it kind of felt like VAR was being improved upon this season you know there was more of a a message to referees that to, to let things go you know and, and try not to overturn things unless there's a real clear and obvious yeah. error and, and, and you can totally understand why Everton and the supporters would feel totally aggrieved in this situation that I, I just can't for the life of me I've watched it Fifty times, how how on earth can can that be deemed a clear and obvious error for the ref to overturn that decision?
1: Yeah, yeah. Michael Ball and I have discussed this this morning. I'll be Ball, column later on, and both of them have similar minds to be honest. Um, yeah, it, it it's one way it could be given and or not given, but it's certainly not clear and obvious. Having awarded the initial penalty, that it you then overturn. It. I mean, it's it's almost like a double hit for Everton because in a pre VAR era, you know, the, the penalty would have been awarded and that would have been it. But now. Um, because of, of VAR, there was an opportunity that perhaps the, the referee could have played advantage because Everton was still in a very good yeah. position there and Richarlton might have ended up scoring anyway. So they'd have been denied twice uh, with there with the decision being overtaken, like you say. Overturned, sorry. Sorry, like you say, though, clear and obvious. It's VAR is supposed to exist, so we don't have the howlers. So we don't have, you know, when the, Obviously, we've got the goal line technology, that's separate. But, you know, when it was just an obvious mistake, a really bad mistake from the referee to help them out, and this was something he'd seen in real time. He fought in real time that it, it, it was a it was a, a penalty So to be to be overturned I mean, it's gone forever. and it's galling for Everton, particularly obviously it was a it was a very tight game and ended up being nil-nil anyway. It could have been the pivotal pivotal moment. I mean, yeah. Everton are going into that international break, relieved that they're not going in on the back of four defeats. But I mean it could have been going in a much rosier position on a morale boosting victory over Tottenham and also um the fact that he, he, he got the ball for me, you know, that that makes no odds because he I mean, he still clips him. He, he clips him. It was an interesting argument from Rapper as he, he said, if he makes that challenge on the halfway line, then it's a foul. Well, I think if he does that challenge on the halfway line, what was he doing? Swiping his <laughs> hands around people's legs on the halfway line. I don't know, but yeah, I know you use that example when it's an outfield player does the um, foul in the area. You say, well, it'd be given someone else on the pitch. But yeah, he got the ball. Yeah, but he also got the man, so for it me, it's a penalty. And like you say, it, it whether you. Whether you think it's a penalty or not, it's not that much of a howler to say that's a clear and obvious error that we've got to overturn. So yeah, that, that, that's an issue with VAR, which is ongoing. It is, it is really disappointing, Adam,
2: isn't it? And I know you've wrote about it in your analysis this morning uh, about how you know everyone was essentially just baffled by the performance of the referee. But VAR definitely, certainly at the start, of the season seemed to have been improved upon. It seems to be a lot more fair, a lot more rational. It's just really disappointing that it, it, it happened in that way yesterday. And you know, to, to cap it all off, then Hugo Lloris ends up with the ball whenever they're in a, a great attacking position. The the whole thing just doesn't make any sense at all, does it?
3: Well, that's it. Like you mentioned, the fact that VAR did does seem to be improved from the start of this season, and and I do I do kind of agree with that. You know, we we're not seeing the same sort of marginal offsides that everybody was. You know, really fuming with throughout stages last season, but I I just don't think that the improvements have really got to the heart of the issue. Which I still think the real issue with VAR is the lack of communication that fans inside the stadium have to to all this. Like there was probably from the referee blowing his whistle to give Everton a penalty, probably about a four minute delay to then the the referee then overturning his own decision, where fans in the stadium have absolutely no idea what's going on like a message comes up on the screen after about a minute saying var is checking it but you know there's no there's no like verbal communication the fans are getting you know the, the, the we don't get to listen into the to the conversations that these referees are having and it, it always just seems to be the case now that whenever a referee goes over to the screen that's it you know it's you know it's just going to get overturned, which I think is just, it's just madness really, isn't it? And it, it really does feel to me as if, you know, it, it's referees sticking together in that sense. Like, you know, John John Moss was the VAR official for yesterday. So John Moss has probably been in Chris Cavana's ear in this situation. And he's probably said to him, I think you probably should check that, you know, because, and then instantly that, that'll put the thought in Chris cavanagh's mind. he's, he's not got the pressure of being in this stadium and he doesn't think it's a pen so do i have to change my decision now and if he goes if he then goes to the monitor and then goes against what var thinks you know that's then ref two two premier league referees disagreeing with each other on the same issue and it it, it really seems to me as if the premier league just don't want that they don't want their referees to be seen disagreeing over anything so whenever a referee goes over to the monitor it, it seems that there's some sort of weird pressure that he's always got to overturn his initial decision i think yeah, you can probably count the amount of times on one hand uh the amount of times that uh, a referee's actually stuck with his decision after going over to that monitor and you know then you go you just go to the issue you know he's looking at that he's looking at that in slow motion he probably looks at that however many replays over the course of like two minutes if he's taking that long to look at the decision on like with so many replays. How can that be a clear and an obvious error? It just doesn't make any sense to me. And then you've obviously got the bit that you mentioned there right at the end that, you know, I think Chris quite rightly says that Everton have really been punished twice because if the referee doesn't give a penalty there, Richarlison's got the ball, Hugo Lloris is out of his goal. I think there's maybe a defender on the line that maybe... Richarlison's got to try and get the ball past, but realistically, he's got he's got a lot of the goal to aim at there. And for some reason, spares get spares get a drop ball when they when they didn't have possession of the ball. Now I think that that is written into the Premier League rules somewhere. I'm writing a piece on it later, so I need to I need to properly research this. I do think it is written in the rules somewhere, but I think that's an absolutely ludicrous rule, if that is if that is written into the rules, to be honest, because it's not Richarlison's fault that the referees made made a mistake in quotation marks there. Like, so uh, like he was he was in possession. There's no way he should be punished again for that. So it was just an absolute b- bizarre collection of of errors, to be honest. And you're quite right in saying that Everton fans were already on the referees' back. I think quite rightly with from a few decisions in the first half that. Uh, Drew a few ironic cheers from from, uh, from the crowd. So you know the referee wasn't in good standing anyway. And then just this this five minutes of absolute nonsense occurs, and you know it, it just really it, it really disheartens you, doesn't it? And yeah, it it really does bring the question back to the standard of officiating in this country. And it just does seem like it's at its lowest ebb at the minute, which is you know saying something considering how bad it's been over the last few years. Prenner, I
2: really hope you watched Match of the Day 2 last night because I know you would have been a massive fan of the segment at the end.
0: You know what? I had several beers after the game. on uh, yesterday. <laughs> and I did watch Match of the Day 2, but my um, eyes got heavy. I looked uh, them up again. I suddenly saw them stand with 3-2 up. I thought, how did that happen? <laughs> so, I probably didn't see the segment at the end. I did watch the Everton highlights and i did i quite applauded the fact that they did point out what adams just said that richardloson had been punished by actually being denied you know a goal scoring opportunity having been fouled i mean they tried to absolve uh, you know, the other referee by suggesting that because larry scott the faintest of touches on the ball uh, that that meant it wasn't a foul but he still cleaned him out afterwards i mean the, exactly the same um, you know protocol existed in the Mason Holgate red card, which was correct, by the way. But, you know, because, you know, he took the ball, but then followed through. So he was punished. So, you know, I just don't understand how you can have, you know, sort of a difference of opinion for a penalty. And not in that instance, it was just, it was, it was a poor decision, a number of poor decisions he made. I mean, Alan was punished. Uh, There was one where uh, he nicked the ball quite clearly uh, away from a couple of Spurs players. And the referee seemed to think about it. And the, the Spurs players, you know, appealed. He clearly hadn't seen it. But then he gave the decision, and you know that got the crowds like sort of back up. So there were a number of like quite unconvincing decisions he made. I mean, John Moss is not one of the better Premier League referees anyway, and if he's the guy that's in his ear, you know, sort of advising him, um, I can only endorse what Adam said there. It clearly wasn't, you know, sort of clear and obvious error. Richarlison was punished, you know, sort of for his his, his furnace really, and getting back up to his feet straight away, and you know, sort of and trying to play on. But I didn't see the segment at the end. So go on, tell me what it was. <laughs>
2: I'll, I'll have to send it to you. It's great. It's basically the, the match with ACAM just picked up on Everton. Fans scream at the ref all game, but he thinks right. it's Stuart Atwell. So he's sitting there and just go, You're a cheat, Atwell. You might not wear white Atwell. And it's Chris Cameron, <laughs> and It's just amazing. <laughs> I, I, I've recorded it. I'll catch up with it a little bit later. The
1: Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
2: Another another man who didn't cover himself in glory Mm Because Mason Holgate comes off the bench in midfield, which is slightly random, to be fair, but was getting an early bath a a few minutes later. But kind of to talk about them both in tandem, because I suppose they do fit together, but you've got a £25 million midfielder who's finally returned to fitness on the bench, and and you've got a, a defender who I think it's probably fair to say has been out of sort in in recent months and struggling to find his best form. And, and Rafa t- turned to the defender to go on in midfield. So you know, do you as much as you can question that substitution in in, in itself? Though that something at the moment just isn't clicking for for, for Mason Holgate, is it? And it seems like he eventually took out his frustrations on you know what was a, a really poor cameo or, or what was a, a really dangerous tackle
1: yeah i mean I don't, I don't think anyone comes out of this um great obviously um i think what's rafa thinking is, it, is he thinking that Gabaman is now that much of a, a liability after the uh, the lackluster display of wolves that he now has to play a defender out of position yeah put him in, in, in midfield ahead of him so you've got to wonder if, if, if sort of then is it, you're looking at the management the manager's decision there and then you think about how does that impact on Gabamin himself because thinking well this guy's a defender and he's been picked ahead of me 25 million midfielder and he's putting a defender ahead of me and then Holgate I mean I think um he he was a bit frustrated wasn't he I think he'd given the ball away a couple of times and um that just frustration boiled over He's um um, make an impact do something after uh, you know he'd he'd given it away a couple of times and he's totally gone over the top like we say you can't make those challenges now I mean it it was high it was it was dangerous, and I think the manager himself said, "Yeah, no complaints about that one." That yeah, It's a red card, and yeah, you do wonder for Mason Hallgate, because I think we just t- talked on this briefly last week. Um, was it too long ago? He was seen as one of the starting centre backs, and you know there was even talk of you know, Manchester City casting an eye over him at, at one point. And was it a case of you know but, but believing the hype about yourself too much because? Of, at the moment, he's he, he's very much fourth choice. I mean, Yeti Mead out and has been out since the last international break, and he still can't get a, a start in Berth in there. And when he did do, obviously, at uh, uh, the Wolves, but um, you know, he, he looked very uncomfortable alongside Michael Keane. So yeah, it's almost like one step forward, two steps back for, for Mason at the moment. And um, I don't know where he goes from here now, it, it's a busy festive period coming up over December, there are lots of fixtures. So the manager probably will. Need him at some point, but he might have to wait a little while now. Obviously, he's got the suspension to, to serve, but when he does come back, you know, he's, he's certainly not going to be a, an automatic for you'd imagine for a little while now. It
2: is a, a Woody and one, isn't it, Adam? And, and Bees has kind of said similar to, to what you've written in your analysis this morning about even with a busy festive fixture list coming up for Mason Holgate, he, he might well be waking up this morning and looking at that fixture list and wondering where his next start would come from in the Premier League and you know a player who not long ago Everton fans were you know really excited to see us sign him down to a new long-term contract suddenly you know his immediate future looks looked very kind of strange but from those minutes he was on the pitch you know kind of not went right did it do you think the tackle was born out of just pure frustration from his own performance and maybe his own situation?
3: I think, I think to be honest, the tackle came from him wanting to make a little bit of an impression because he's, he'd only been on the pitch for I think it was about eight or nine minutes. By the time he made, by the time he made that tackle, obviously as we've mentioned, he he wasn't exactly playing very well up, up until that tackle was made. He gave the ball away in the centre of the pitch, which eventually led to Loselso striking the post and probably what was Tottenham's best chance of the game. So he nearly he nearly gave a goal away. Having only been on the pitch for about five minutes, and I think when he's just see when he's seen the, the ball with Hoybjerg on the edge of the box there, he's thought to himself, "Oh, I can I can make a bit of an impression here, you know, go in for a bit of a hard tackle, and you know, try and get the fans up for it, and try and get 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 them behind me again." But he's he's just completely over-egged it, and he he's gone in for for the challenge in an, an absolutely reckless and needless way, and. You know, it was it was quite right that he that he got sent off and you do look into his future now. I think that'll lead to a three game game suspension for him for dangerous foul play. So he'll miss Everton's next three matches at least, and then you're looking you're looking at the fixture list, you know, potentially Yeni Mina's gonna work his way back to full fitness. And then you you look at the likes of even let's say Jared Branthwaite on the bench. Is there an argument that Jared Branthwaite is now gonna try and push ahead of Mason Holgate you know he's a very exciting young player he's very highly rated at the club isn't he and you know why wouldn't you why wouldn't you give him a chance if you know if Holgate's in such bad form why wouldn't you why wouldn't you give him any sort of opportunity to step up if you're going to be rotating your squad or if you're going to have any more injury issues or anything like that so I really do think Mason Holgate is in a is in a really precarious situation in terms of his Everton future at the minute, which is absolutely baffling to think. You know, only it was probably only about two years ago that he was really, really developing into a fantastic player. he, he broke it into the Everton side towards the end of that uh, Marco Silva's time, hadn't he? Really started to excel when Carlo Ancelotti took over, and pff, it just seems that you know, probably what was it since since the return from lockdown, maybe he's he's kind of just fallen off the boil and really really lost his way and it, it, it's really hard to put your finger on what the issue is with him is he is he similar to Michael Keane and the fact that he's really a confidence player and you know the, his confidence is just rock bottom at the minute it's hard to it's hard to say because he, he seems like he plays with a certain air of confidence and almost an arrogance about him when he when he when he's on the pitch uh, but it it's just very it's it, it's really hard to say because I, I do still think there's a there is a really really good player in there but i can't really remember the last time he's fully managed to show that in an everton shirt which is a real shame and it it's it, it's a t- it's a time of, of, of like this this everton era at the minute where he can't really afford to keep putting in poor performances like this because you know if you're hoping that Ben Godfrey is going to return to full form soon. I thought he played really well uh, yesterday. You're hoping that Michael Keane is going to return to some semblance of form again. I thought he was really good yesterday as well. Uh, Yeni Mina, when he comes back to full fitness, there's an argument that he's Everton's best centre-back. Uh, I, I think we've spoken on this podcast over the last couple of weeks that centre-back might be an area that Everton look to strengthen in the in the very near future. So where would, where would that leave... Mason Holgate's future it certainly wouldn't be in centre mid anymore after after what he did yesterday so it it's very it's very fast turning into a really worrying situation if you if you Holgate so he needs to find form soon but when whenever he's going to get that that chance to prove that again I, I really really don't know because you know this is probably this is probably the the lowest again the lowest the lowest ebb that he's had uh, recently and you know he's been in poor form over the last few months but you know I've seen a lot I've seen a lot of fans who just think that that's that's the final straw with him and I, I wouldn't go that far myself but you know there's there's the supporters you certainly aren't happy with it and you can you can see why.
2: And Preno on the decision to kind of put Holgate in ahead of Jabam it, it, it almost feels to me is it all is it almost a message for from Rafa to Jean Philippe in, in terms of you know Delft starting ahead here, and you know you're not doing enough behind the scenes. You're not doing enough for Finch Farm to, to to warrant even a place coming on ahead of a ahead of a centre back. But to to focus on him for a minute, it's it's worrying, isn't it? That a player who will only have two years left on his contract at the end of the season, you know, which is normally the time a club kind of look to say, right, let's get that extended or, or let's move them on. For all the bad luck with with injuries, he's had a really poor start of the season. When he's had an opportunity to to showcase his talents, yeah, yeah. I mean, um,
0: I mean, we've heard that his performances on the training pitch at Finch Farm have been erratic. You know, he's had good days training, but then he's had two or three really bad days training, and so you don't get any level of consistency. And you know, so is that a result of his time out? You know, so possibly. When he's being given opportunities uh, to showcase it in football matches, he's not produced. Um, and that Wolves performance was was very very poor. And uh, you know he totally deserved you know sort of getting hauled off when he did. And he's clearly done nothing uh, on the training pitch in the meantime. As a reaction from that uh, to, to warrant you know getting brought on for the last like eight minutes at the weekend, you know, which is why you know so the manager decided um, you know so to go with Holgate. So it has got to be a concern. I mean, Raff has also made it clear that he wants people in the squad that he can rely on fitness-wise. Um, he's been very, very frustrated by the number of injuries that you know he's he's, he's had to deal with. He's already made one change to his his, his fitness staff and his rehab staff, uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if there are more changes further down the line. Um, so he wants players he can rely on, you know. So that, that's why you know he's looked at you know the fitness records of Damari Gray and. and Townsend and Rondon before bringing them in, because uh, he knows you know he's got a certain degree of consistency out of them. And if, if Gabamin, you know, is, is going to be continue to be unfortunate, you know, so sort of with his fitness record, that'll be another mark against them as well. So yeah, you know, Adam talked about you know why it's a worrying time, you know, so sort of for Mason Holgate's future, and it is. Equally, it's a very worrying time for John Philippe Gabamin. I mean, this is a new manager still who's finding out about his squad and he wants to rebuild his squad, you know, pretty much from scratch. And certainly, those two players that we've mentioned there haven't done anything this season to suggest that you know they've got a long-term future under the new manager. I mean, Holgate was actually made skipper earlier this season against Huddersfield in the uh, in, in the League Cup, so you know he's been given opportunities, he's been given responsibility, uh, and he's not taken it. Likewise, Gabamin, you only get so many chances in the Premier League. It's a very, very unforgiving environment, uh, and if you don't grab those chances when they're put in front of you, I'm sorry, you can't do much about it. You know, it's. Uh, the the manager will move on and he will bring in other players that, you know, he feels can trust uh, or he can trust and you have to, you have to endorse that.
1: The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
2: And as Adam mentioned, he's an improved performance from from young Ben Godfrey. Mm -hmm. A clean sheet heading into the international break will hopefully be just the remedy for him after a, a, a tough couple of weeks. You know, the mistake against Wolves kind of was high profile, but I think even he has admitted that, you know, due to COVID and, and, and other things that his performances haven't quite been at the standards. Uh, he were at last season. I know you spoke to, to Alan Stubbs about, about Godfrey specifically yeah. as well. Do, do you think that's just kind of the trials and tribulations of such a young defender in, in the Premier League? He's going to go through these peaks and yeah. troughs almost, isn't he? But you've got to hope now he's, he's came up the other end and we see the Ben Godfrey that we saw, you know, for, Pretty much the entirety of last season.
1: Yeah, you certainly hope so. And given the encouragement of his first season at, at and that, you, like you say, you, you've seen what what he can do for whatever reasons. They, they, uh, they call it over in America, don't they? Is it the, the, the sophomore slump, the, the yeah. second season syndrome, we say over here in England. Maybe it's just a bit of that. And obviously you mentioned the fitness issues. I mean, we don't know with the COVID how much it can affect anyone, even elite athletes, you know, the, the amount of time it might take you to recover. And get back to, to to those levels but yeah maybe if he hit a real low point at, at Wolves with that and um, you know the, the unforced error the, the back pass hopefully that was his lowest point and he can come out the other end because he's, he's a player who offers just so much I mean a lot more than maybe we realised when he first came into the, the the club he's always obviously got this issue with this versatility whereas he's been depended upon to go play right back, go play left back. Yeah. And whilst that's helping the team and helping his manager, I think that was something Alan Stubbs said to me at the start of the season. It wasn't necessarily helping Godfrey himself. And that might have been part of the reason why, you know, he was out of position and made that that mistake at Wolves. So back at centre-half and he very much sees himself <laughs> as a centre-back. You, you hope he can flourish there because for all those um, inconsistencies and those sort of question marks we've got in that position for Everton right now, um, he does offer the, the hopefully the brightest long-term um, solution in that position. I mean, you, you dare say even if he sticks around, he's a potential future Everton captain. He's that sort of personality about him. You know, he's got a bit of leadership and leads by example. So, yeah, he's a very important player, you'd hope, for the club going forward. So, yeah, the sooner he can sort of get a run of consistent matches like the sort of performance he made against Tottenham Hotspur, if you can do that on a regular basis, I mean, uh, it, can, it can only help the team and whoever's alongside him. And and from one exciting young player, Adam we should
2: probably touch on Anthony Gordon in the in the same week that he was named in the England under twenty one squad for the first time. I think when we're talking about players and, and the impact they've had so far this season, that it's definitely been a positive season to the campaign from from Tony Gordon, hasn't it?
3: Yeah, I think it was really important that he made it into the starting lineup because I think that really Really helped the atmosphere from the start, didn't it? We've had a whole week of Everton fans essentially saying that Anthony Gordon needs to start this game. He had a really good cameo coming on against Wolves, nearly scored uh, with a really good header at the near post on that game. Just looked lively in general, didn't he, uh, throughout that Wolves match? So it, I think it was really important that he was given a start by Rafa Benitez, and I think he he worked really hard. It <laughs> did, didn't he? Like I think. It's it's a point that I made uh, in last week's podcast that it's really important for him to look like at least that he's working hard off the ball, especially you know tracking back, you know making making important challenges and stuff like that because he knows he's in direct competition essentially with Alex Awobi who doesn't really do that defensive work that that you would. Uh, that you would necessarily associate with, you know, Gordon, who you know, looks very energetic and getting back and putting in slide tackles and stuff like that. I can't, I can't think of a time that Alex Wobie's put in a slide tackle. It's just not, it's just not part of his game, is it? His game is very much, you know, dribble at opponents, find little intricate passes, sort of thing. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think Gordon worked really hard. I think Everton in general were just lacking a bit of creativity, and I think Gordon was subject to that as well. He had a little moments at the start of the second half where he got on the end of a cross from the flank. Was it De Mardi Grays? Cro- like, really chipped cross to the back post and he had a bit of a, a volleyed attempt, which he just didn't quite get hold of. He had a couple of other, you know, half opportunities to maybe have a little bit of a shot. He's, he's obviously quite desperate for that first goal, isn't he? But I think the big thing that he can probably take out of this is that he was given 90 minutes by Rafa Benitez. And I think that really... That really was a sign from the manager that he really does rate Gordon because going into this match, the main thing that Benitez has been saying, you know, this is why I'm not playing Gordon as much, is that he doubted uh, his staying power at this level over the course of 90 minutes, didn't he? And this was, this was, I think, Rafa Benitez saying to him, right, I'm giving you this 90 minutes now. I do have faith in you. Let's see where you can take this forward because especially when we're talking about when Mason Holgate got uh, sent off, for example, he, Benitez brought on Gabamon and, and he took off Demary to Gray rather than taking off Anthony Gordon. He could have easily took off Gordon. I think Gordon was actually getting quite tired from probably like the 70th minute onwards. I, I would suggest. So I was, I was maybe <laughs> anticipating that Gordon was going to go off before that, but uh, he chose to take off Gray rather than Gordon. And I think that is a certain, a certain show of faith from the manager, which I think is really important for him, for him and he's going into this international break now. He's going to play with the under-21s. Hopefully he can get some minutes, Lee Carsley can give him some minutes for the 21s, but it, it, it's all just looking really promising and, and rosy for Anthony Gordon at the minute, which is which is really nice to see. You know, We've had pr- obviously a, a pretty dire run of performances and results in general for Everton over the last few weeks, but Anthony Gordon's managed to sort of transcend that on an individual basis and on a personal level. He really seems to be uh, going up step-by-step step now, which is really, really promising to see, and let's hope he can continue that for the rest of the season.
2: And Prenno, all it feels like we've we've done on the podcast this season is, is talk about upcoming international breaks. Uh, another <laughs> one is is upon us, but again, uh, I think you know we've stopped the, the rot of defeat to a positive point against you know still a team with a lot of talented players like Spurs have. And hopefully the international break brings everyone back fit um we're closer to seeing Dominic carvert lewin back in action
0: yeah you can't underestimate how big a miss he's been this season i mean there were a couple of uh, occasions in the first half when uh good quality balls were put across the box and they were the kind of you know balls that he was scoring from uh you know so tail end of last season you know so beginning of this season you know so diving in late um getting on the his head on the end of things so, yeah, you know, the international break, they, they, they're so frustrating. Uh, not only do you have no football for a fortnight, but you've also got players jetting off here, there and everywhere. and You've no idea quite, you know, sort of how they're going to come back. Uh, I just dearly hope that we don't have any issues, you know, uh, thrown upon us, you know, with players coming back injured because, you know, we've got enough to, you know, sort of contend with as it is. Uh, Calvert-Lewin does sound like it's going to be a little while yet, though. Decorey, I think, not... Too far away. As he's a few weeks away, so you know, so maybe that could be you know sort of a positive after the international break, uh, because you know there's a, an interesting one of fixtures coming up, shall we say? Uh, you know, we looked at December and thought, oh my God, that's going to be an absolutely you know sort you know milestone of, uh, of games. But Brentford have had that you know sort of early season flourish. It's dipped a little bit now. You know, and if Norwich can go there and win, you know, there's no reason why we shouldn't be. You know so thinking about doing something similar in that fixture. Manchester City that everybody almost also automatically you know, just gives up on. You know, it's, it's gonna be been beaten at home by Crystal Palace. And you know, so Palace got a couple of decisions in their favour that day, but equally they've been you know playing very, very well and you know deserved their luck on the day. So again you can look at that. I mean only uh, a couple of weeks ago I was watching our performance against Watford, Liverpool's performance against Man United, and thinking, oh my God, I don't want to go to Derby. I don't want to watch the Derby. But now having seen a performance full of commitment and passion, you know, on Sunday, and Liverpool suffering down at West Ham, you're thinking, well, maybe, you know, so another, you know, so good good, goodness and atmosphere. Uh, and maybe a referee that actually, you know, so sort of works in our favour this time, which we never seem to have. Uh, you know, so what could happen? So yeah, you know, there's plenty to look forward to. Unfortunately, it's just the four nights away, and we've got to get through another interminable international break with high-profile matches against is it Albania and San Marino? Oh gosh, yeah, it's bad. It's not bad. Forward yeah. to the San Marino game, Dave? No, not at all. But there's Royal Blue podcasts to entertain you because we'll we'll have a couple more of these during the international break. I'm sure we can think of something to talk about. And uh, you know, so, try to keep people's you know so attention focused on everything matters.
2: Well, Dave has just convinced me that we'll be top by the end of December. So I think that's <laughs> a good place to leave it before we return next week. And as Dave says, we will hopefully take your mind away from the pain of the international break. More Everton based discussion. Thank you so much for listening. We've been the Royal Blue Podcast. You can find us on Facebook, or you can follow us and message us on Twitter if if you feel. need get your questions in for the international break if there's anything you'd like to see us discuss. And thank you again for listening. We are the Royal Blue Podcast.
1: You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.